following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Anybody know what free diving is? There's a sport called free diving. You know what it is? Jonathan knows. Aaron knows. She knows the same way that I know because uh, the way we find all information is we watch documentaries on Netflix. That's, that's how it goes. Um, free diving is this sport where you see how deep you can dive underwater. But here's the thing. With free diving, it's you take one breath and you see how deep you can go on that one breath. And it's pretty incredible. The world record right now in free diving is, is 214 meters. And since we're Americans, we don't know what 214 meters is. So it's just over 700 feet on one breath, right? And here's the thing. You, you, you've got to think through really what that, what does that mean? Because you go down and you've got to go down controlled because of the, the changing pressure in the water. And when you get to that deepest point, you can't like check your point and then shoot straight up because your whole body just gets crushed by the changing pressures of the water. So you've got to be thinking as you do this, one breath, okay, now I'm going as deep as I can. Can I still come up slowly? Can I still do all of this the way I need to do it? Because what happens often is people black out. They, they just, they go into oxygen debt and they black out. They have like divers that go down with them to help them. Or they get to the surface and they take that first deep breath of air and then they pass out, right? And it's not uncommon for people to die in this sport. Sounds like a fun, fun, fun sport, huh? But here's the thing. Right, with, with free diving, the deeper you go, the longer you're underwater, the more pressure you deal with from the outside, and the more dangerous it gets. At the same time, the deeper you go, the greater the reward. As human beings you and I have a natural aversion to what is uncomfortable, don't we? We don't really like difficult things. We prefer what is easy, what is comfortable, what is familiar to what is difficult and challenging. Even though that we know, like free diving, the deeper we go, the more uncomfortable it gets, the greater the reward. Sadly, for most of us, if we're honest, this spills out into our faith, doesn't it? It spills out into our faith. We would rather stick with what we know, what is comfortable, what I'm sure is right, than to dive deep, be changed, be pushed. So the question I'm going to ask you today is really simple. As we begin this look into the book of Colossians, it's this. Are we ready and willing to dive deep into the waters of faith in Jesus Christ? Are we ready and willing to dive deep? Now, as we start this, if we're going to dive deep, we have to know what deep is. Makes sense, doesn't it? If we're going to dive deep, we've got to know what the deep waters are. And so today, today we're going to start at the very beginning because that's a very good place to start. <laughs> See, I like to get to know you guys. I know who gets that and who doesn't. 
Colossians 1 and 2. Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2, lays the groundwork for the rest of our study through this book. And here, we're told first and foremost that our calling is in Christ. Our calling is in Christ. I'm going to start, and I'm going to read both of these verses, and then we'll come back to verse 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Our calling is in Christ. And we, we see this right here in verse one, where again, let me read it again. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. And the first surface level bit of information we get in this book is right here. And it's who's writing the letter. Who is writing this letter that we're reading, that we're going to be studying over the next several months, well, it's Paul. It says, if you look, it says right here, Paul, right? I'm not making this up. It says Paul. And we know Paul. Paul was a a persecutor of the church who became maybe the greatest church planner to ever live. Right, if you don't know who Paul is, if you're like, I, I know who Paul, but I don't really know his story, I'll give you some reading for this week, okay? Go to the book of Acts, the New Testament book of Acts. Read Acts 8, verse 1, and then go read chapter 9, and then go read chapter 13, okay? So if you don't know Paul well, read Acts 8, 1, chapter 9, chapter 13. You'll get the whole story of his conversion and how he became who he is. But Paul is the one who writes this letter, and he writes it from prison in Rome, He's sitting in a prison cell, and he writes this probably between 60 and 62 AD. He's got his protege, Timothy, with him. Timothy, when we get later in the New Testament, we get 1 and 2 Timothy. That's Paul writing to this same man. But it's Paul who's writing this letter. And he identifies himself, right? He says, is Paul. Who is Paul? An apostle of Christ Jesus an apostle of Christ Jesus. Okay, so this brings up another question for us. What is an apostle? We see this all the time in scripture. What is an apostle? Really easy. I'll give you a functional idea of what an apostle is. An apostle is one who is sent as a messenger by an authority. Because you want to know what an apostle is, those three things. A messenger, one who is sent with a message by and authority. Paul says, I'm an apostle. I've been sent with a message. By what authority? He says, by God's will. By God's will. Paul knows that that he is sent as an apostle with this message, not by human vision or logic or understanding. He says, this is God's will. And Paul continually through the New Testament lets us know that he knows that. That his work, his mission, his calling is never about him. It's about God's will. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, when Paul introduces himself to the Galatians, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And he says, "It's, it's not by mankind that I come. I come with an authority that is divine. It is God's will. See, Paul never separates his salvation from his calling. He understands that the two are inexorably linked. 
It's not about him. It's about God's plan and God's purpose. So what does that mean for you and me? How do we apply this verse, an introduction of who Paul is? What do we do with it? Very simple. We understand that just like Paul, we are apostles by nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have called upon the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are an apostle. You have been sent with a message by an authority. A couple weeks ago, Mitch Sade was here and he talked about Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And we remember Jesus before his ascension, before he leaves his disciples. He says, okay, guys, here's what you do. He says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. What does Jesus tell the disciples to do? Make disciples. Do it as you're going. Do it with baptism. Do it by teaching. Your calling is to make disciples. You realize that that was not Jesus' instructions just to the disciples, right? Do we, do we understand that? I don't know if this is the correct way to phrase this. Okay, so forgive my theological inaccuracy, right? But Jesus has pretty good forethought. He knew he was speaking to you and me. It wasn't, it, it's not like he's surprised now, like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of people who know me at Erie Evangelical Free Church. Maybe they should listen to what I said to the disciples. No, he said that to his disciples, but he said it to you and me as well. We have a calling. We are apostles. We are sent with the message of Jesus Christ by the authority of God. We are sent with this life-changing message by a divine authority. See, too often, we, as modern church members, we confuse calling with vocation. And it's understandable because vocation comes from the Latin word, which means to call. But calling and vocation are two very different things. That's why we often talk about, well, I, you know, I really struggle with my calling. I'm not sure what I'm called to do. What we really mean is, I don't know what my vocation should be. I don't know how I should work. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing next. And to be sure, there's a great crossover and a deep intertwining of the two. But here's the deal. You and me, believers in Jesus Christ, we have one calling. We are sent with the gospel message of Jesus' love, forgiveness, and redemption by the authority of God and the power of his Holy Spirit. You want to know what your calling is? That's your calling. That is your calling. Now, you may be uniquely equipped and designed by God to do that through your role in your vocation, whether that's as a, 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 a teacher or a factory worker or a firefighter or a stay-at-home parent or any other number of vocations. You may be equipped for that vocation, but your calling is to make Jesus Christ known to a world that needs him because you have been sent with a life-changing message by a divine authority. 
Your vocation is how you carry out your calling. But for every single one of us, we must remember that our calling is in Christ and in Christ alone. So the question is, where do we look for our calling? Because we all talk about calling, right? Don't we? I want to talk about, I wonder what my calling is. I'm not sure what I'm called to do. Do we look to Christ? Or do we look to go, well, what will make me happy? What will make me feel satisfied? What will make me enough money? What will put me in the place where I want to be? And then we go, well, that must be my calling. No, but do we put Christ at the center of our calling? Colossians is written by Paul, a man who is confident in his calling. And he tells us that our calling is in Christ. Let's go on and see what he does next. In in chapter 2, we see that not only is our calling in Christ, but our union is in Christ. Our unity is in Christ. In the first half of the second verse here, it says, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters. So we know the, the letter is written by Paul, and it's written to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters. Okay, so the second surface level bit of information we get is who receives this letter. And it's the saints in Christ. Who's that? That's the special class of believers who did three miracles and are acknowledged as being saints? No. Saints in Christ are those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have been washed by the blood of Christ, and who are, because of the perfect nature of Jesus Christ, are made perfect in him. It's all those who are transferred into God's kingdom by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To the saints in Christ. Where are these particular saints in Christ? He says at Colossae. This is the, the, the believers, the church's physical location here. What do we know about the city of Colossae and the church here? A couple of things that are important and that I think really help us connect with this letter. First of all, Colossae was once a great city. If you went back to the the 5th or 6th century BC, Colossae was a a, a very important city. It was known for wool trade and for the way that it was open and accepting of all religious practices and it mixed and matched whatever felt good about various religions and so people loved the city. But sometime around 60 AD, the city was leveled by an earthquake. And so now, as Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, you have a church in a city that has nothing. It's an out-of-the-way place. Some, some commentators say that this is the least significant place that any New Testament letter was ever written to. 
You ever feel like you live in an out-of-the-way place that's maybe not all that significant? But this is Colossae. And the church that here, that's here was not planted by Paul. Paul didn't plant this church. In fact, Paul may have never been to this church. The church was planted by a man named Epaphras, and we're going to talk about him next week. So this lowly, out-of-the-way place that Paul had never been, Paul didn't really know any of the people. But what Paul does know is what he hears from Epaphras, that this is a church that is under attack from false teachings. The false teachings of the culture around them. Remember what I said about one of the, the defining characteristics of Colossae in the 5th or 6th century BC? Right? It was the mixing of religions. It was, hey, this sounds good, and that sounds good, and this sounds good. Let's just take them all and use whatever we like, because that's going to be okay. Well, now the church planted in this city is facing false teachings, and we don't really know exactly what that is. Some think it's, it's legalism, which is taking the law and saying, I have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be saved, and if I don't do this, then God won't love me. Some think it's related to Jewish mysticism, which is praying to angels and, and, and looking for some kind of divine spiritual work to, that's outside of Jesus Christ for salvation. But most believe it's probably some form of what we call syncretism. Syncretism is when we take our faith and we go, this is what Jesus says, that's good, right? But my culture does this and my culture says this. And so let's just take that because that seems more comfortable, That seems more appealing to me than exactly what God says. So let's make this stuff all line up and just be okay with it. Feeling any connection to the Colossians yet? Whatever the heresy was, it was attempting to undermine the authority of Jesus Christ in their lives and in their church. So Paul writes to the saints in Christ at Colossae. He says, who are faithful brothers and sisters. Paul says, I know what you're going through, and I know this is difficult for you, but be encouraged. You are faithful brothers and sisters. Why? Not because you're super smart, not because you have all the scriptures memorized. He says, you are faithful brothers and sisters because you love the Lord and you serve Jesus Christ. And you continue to seek to try to put him at the center of everything. He says, you are united in Jesus Christ. You are brothers and sisters. The church is bound together the same way you and I are bound together. It's in Jesus Christ. All believers are bound together by the blood of Jesus. And here's why that's a beautiful statement. If you've never thought about it and never really taken that seriously, here's why this is beautiful. Because it means that we don't have to be the same in order to love, serve, and support one another. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. He says, because of Christ, because of your union in Christ, you submit to one another. You love, you serve, you seek to lift up one another. He doesn't say if you agree on every point that we talk about every single week. He doesn't say if you work in the same place, 
He says, if you are in Christ, you are bound together. Love, submit, support, encourage one another. See, because the blood of Jesus is stronger than our views on how people should dress when they go to church. The blood of Jesus is stronger than our personality differences. The blood of Jesus is stronger than our political views. Yes, Jesus can love Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, I'll get an email this week. (laughs) Yes, the blood of Jesus is stronger than our personal interests. Tell you five things. Many of you know these five things about me. I love to eat donuts. I like physical exercise. I like to work out. I love writing music. I love to read theology, like theological textbooks that bore a lot of people. I really enjoy. And I love Star Wars. I'm a Star Wars nerd. I'm okay with it. Right now, now, that's five things about me. Those five things, there's probably not another person in this room that lines up with all five of those things, right? We, we may have some crossover. Maybe you like donuts. <laughs> Who doesn't like donuts? Everybody <laughs> likes donuts. Uh, <laughs> maybe you like donuts. Maybe you like some of the things that I like, but we are not going to like all the same things. We are not the same person. We may have some crossover, but we're not the same. And you're going to like some things that I don't. Maybe you like fishing. I think worms are gross and I don't like touching fish. Maybe maybe you like gardening. I've said many times, if Aaron would let me, I'd pave our backyard so I never had to touch it. Right? We don't have to like the same things. We are not the same people and that's okay because we still get to love each other and serve each other and submit to one another because Jesus loves us and he has washed us clean in his blood. In Romans 12, verse 10, again, Paul writes, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. He says, if you are in Christ, you love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Again, there's no mention of interests or likes or dislikes. We have a bond in Jesus' blood that overcomes all of our differences for the kingdom's sake. And so the question in our lives is, where do we see our primary source of unity? What makes us feel united to other people? What's the first thing that makes us united? Is it our politics? Is it our personal conviction? Is it our worldview? Or is it Jesus Christ? Our unity is in Christ. We go on, and as we finish Paul's greeting, we receive one more reminder. Paul's told us that our calling is in Christ and our unity in Christ. But he finishes up verse 2. And in the second half of verse 2, we see that our blessing is in Christ. Let me read this whole thing one more time. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters. Now listen to this. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Paul offers here two words that are common in all of his greetings to every letter he writes in the New Testament. Grace and peace. 
And, and there's some argument that he's taking a common greeting in his day, a, 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 a common Greek greeting and changing it around. Right? He's kind of a play on words so that you know what he's saying, but he also uses that to point back to Christ. He says, grace and peace. Grace is God's undeserved gifts. Grace is the blessing we have in a perfect and holy God who loves us and cares for us and gives us gifts even though we are far from perfect and holy. Peace is the rest that comes by our faith in the Lord. It's it's really a confidence in the faithfulness of God. When we talk about peace, we're talking about a confidence in the faithfulness of God, right? Why can we have peace even when things aren't going the way we want them to? Because we're confident that God is faithful. And even if we can't see the way out, we can't see the way forward, we know that he will deliver us. Grace and peace. And this is not just a nice way for Paul to say hello. He's pointing the Colossians back to the nature of who God is and who Jesus is. Grace. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ expressing God's love through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's grace. It brings peace because we know that if God can deliver us from sin and death, what in the world do we have to fear? And Paul is saying, listen, you have grace and peace in Jesus Christ, in God our Father. He's also doing one more thing. He's letting them know about what he's going to say next. See, Paul says, grace and peace to you. Understand God's blessings. Have confidence in his faithfulness because what I'm saying next may not be the most comfortable for you to hear. But know that I speak the truth of Jesus Christ and know that you can trust it, not because of me, not because of my thoughts, but because I've been called as an apostle, one sent with a message from a divine authority. And you have peace and grace, so you can trust that what I say, even if it's hard for you, is good. Think back to your last week and think about all the people you saw and all the people you greeted. I'm betting 99.8 at least, 99.8% of our greetings are perfunctory, which means they require as little effort as possible. Well, when we see somebody, what do we do? We go, hey, good morning. Hey, good to see you. How you doing? Don't we? And it doesn't really mean anything. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying every time you greet somebody, it should be a deep, like, two-hour conversation, right? Sometimes we have to have those cultural greetings in order to get anything done in the day. But most of our greetings are, are very just cultural niceties. But I want you to think about this. Let's say you came in the front door this morning and I saw you and said, hey, good morning, good to see you. All right, which is what we do. And you say, good morning, good to see you. And we go on our way. But what if, what if you walked in the door and I came running up to you and I said, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Before you do anything else, I've got something that is way too important for you to go another second without hearing. I, I can't let you miss this. It will 100% change your life. 
the foundation for our entire conversation is different, isn't it? Then if I just go, hey, good morning. I got something for you. There's a difference in the conversation that is to come. And this is what Paul's doing here. He's going, guys, guys, don't miss, don't miss this. This is important. Why? Because Paul says the foundation of what I'm going to be telling you, the foundation of our entire conversation to come is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am sent with a message by a divine authority to encourage and build your grace and peace. And when the foundation of our lives is built upon the gospel, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the perfect example of God's love, which delivers the power of the Holy Spirit over our lives, then we receive a unique blessing as well. We receive unique blessings through grace and the peace of our God. What are those blessings? Well, first of all, there's way too many for me to even begin to give you a list that feels remotely complete, okay? We don't have the kind of time to go through every one of the blessings we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me give you just a couple, a couple of big picture heading, uh, big picture ideas. First, Blessing we receive through the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation. How about that one? Do we need any more to the list? (laughs) Salvation. This only comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a verse we come back to very often because it's very important. For it is by grace, God's grace, that you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ God's gift, not by any work you can do, but by God's love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. Through the gospel, we receive the blessing of salvation. Through the gospel, we receive the blessing of hope. While we can look around our world and see the bad news in every single corner, You can watch the news for five minutes and be depressed. You can listen in to conversations over coffee and just hear how ugly everything is, how dark and broken our world is. But in the gospel, we remember that our God is good. Our God is good. Psalmist in Psalm 145, verse 9 writes, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. The Lord is good to everyone. That doesn't mean he saves everyone. But what it means is every single person living on the face of the earth is blessed by God. Right? Do we breathe air? Yep. We're blessed by God. God is good. And if God's good to everyone, even those who reject him, can't we trust his goodness in our lives? When we know him and love him and serve him and give him everything? Yes. 
We're blessed with salvation. We're blessed with hope. We are blessed with satisfaction. See, we find fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and we will only ever find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You show me someone who is deeply unsatisfied in their life, right? And if I'm speaking to you today, I'm not apologizing. You show me someone who's deeply unsatisfied in life, and I will show you someone who's holding back from Jesus Christ. I promise. Because we're seeking our fulfillment. We're seeking our joy. We're seeking our hope. We're seeking salvation in anything other than Jesus Christ. We can come to church and say, yes, I'm saved. We can say, I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But if we are deeply unsatisfied, we have not given our lives fully and completely to him. Psalm 22, verse 26 says, The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. It says, if you seek the Lord, if you seek Jesus, he will satisfy you. He's not going to give you everything you want, everything you think you deserve, but he will satisfy you. And so here's the thing. We will only ever find these things and so much more when our faith is in Jesus Christ because business success won't deliver them. Happy families won't deliver them. Nice vacations won't deliver them. Only resting our faith in complete surrender to Jesus Christ delivers the blessings of our God. I'm not saying that faith makes life easier. In fact, it may make our lives a little harder. But what I'm telling you is it will make our lives better. And I promise that you will see God's blessings. So do we rejoice in the blessings of Jesus, of his authority, of his reign and rule over our lives? Our calling, our union, our blessing They're all found in Christ and only in Christ. So how does this set the stage for the rest of our study through the book of Colossians? The whole book of Colossians comes down to this. That's what we've talked about today. The whole book of Colossians comes down to the centrality and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He is the authority and the center of every aspect of our lives where he is not our savior. Because every part of our lives must exist with Jesus at the center. The way we act, the way we think, the way we engage with our work, the way we understand politics and relationships and everything else. And if Jesus is not at the center, then who is? The answer is you and me. If Jesus is not at the center, we have put ourselves at the center. And putting ourselves at the center of our lives will always result sooner or later in letting us down. Because we're living in an idolatrous, heretical state. But in the perfect and holy loving kindness of Jesus Christ, we're forgiven. We are redeemed, bought back from sin and death by his body and blood so that we can live in the incredible power of the Holy Spirit and the presence 
of our God and Father. Church family, may we go into the week ahead remembering to put Jesus and only Jesus at the center of our lives. And in doing so, may we share with the world around us the peace, love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of our Savior so that as we joyously live out our salvation, we might have the opportunity to make known to others the hope and the satisfaction of eternity in the presence of the Almighty God. Let's go with Christ at the center. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we are so grateful for who you are. We thank you for the way you provide for us in millions and millions of ways. We thank you that you have called us your children, that you have welcomed us into the family. And Father, we repent of the ways that we have taken that gift of salvation and turned instead to building our own kingdoms, to making ourselves the center of the world around us. And as we repent, as we turn from our sin and we turn back to you, we run to you. We thank you that you welcome us into your arms. So Lord, as we enter the the days, the weeks, the months, the years ahead, may we remember that you are the center. That we are apostles sent the message of Jesus Christ by your divine authority united together celebrating and sharing your blessings every step of the way. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Church, you are not dismissed, but you are sent. Have a great week. Be the hands and feet of Christ. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.